Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us of the incredible power of God. They have been laying dead for three and a half days. Their bodies have already began to decompose. They're looking at them. And their colors returning. They began to move. They both stand to their feet. Wow. They heard a loud voice from heaven. Come up here. The two prophets ascended to heaven. They did so in a cloud. Notice that. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Every good book has an incredible ending, and God's Word is no different. Today, as he continues his journey through the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier reminds us of the amazing events that accompany the lives of the men who God has sent to bear witness of His mighty power. Let's listen. The message is entitled, The Two Witnesses. One of the hottest places in the Middle East is the Temple Mount, which is controlled by the followers of Islam. It is the third holiest place, Mecca being first, Medina second, the Temple Mount third. This will be the very site where the third Jewish temple will be built during the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation by the Antichrist and his false prophet. But God is going to have his own two witnesses to oppose them. So what we want to do is look at the record of these two witnesses during the tribulation, which is given to us here in Revelation 11. The record of these two witnesses of the tribulation is marked by three things. First, the ministry of the two witnesses, verse 1 through 6. Secondly, the martyrdom of the two witnesses in verse 7 through 10. And thirdly, the miraculous raising and rapture of the two witnesses, verse 11 through 14. The ministry of the two witnesses, verse 1 through 6. Notice in verse 1 through 3, the apostle John was given a read and told by the angel to measure three things in verse 1. The temple, the nows, the sanctuary proper, the altar, which most likely is the brass altar, the sacrifice on the court of the priest, and those who worship therein. In verse 2, he is excluded from measuring certain things. The court outside the temple. The reason for it has been given to the Gentiles, John is told. And then the time of that duration. They will tread the holy city underfoot 42 months, the last three and a half years, which is marked by great tribulation. It's confirmed by Daniel. It's confirmed by Jesus, Daniel 7.25, and Jesus in Matthew 24.15. Now, the temple inner court of Solomon had three courts, the women's court, the men's court, and the priest's court. Separate from that was the court of the Gentiles with a barrier and an inscription there that said, anyone beyond this point comes at their own risk of death. The same sign was posted in the temple of Zerubbabel that Herod beautified during the days of Jesus. The time of the Gentiles, remember, began with Nebuchadnezzar. The Jews went into bondage. The Jews have never ruled prior to that Nebuchadnezzar. They have always been subservient. The time of the Gentile finishes at the end of the reign of the Antichrist, at the end of the seven years, when the stone cut out with hands strikes the image at the feet and it crumbles. 
The time of the Gentiles is a period of history from the Gentiles to rule the world, Nebuchadnezzar to the time of Antichrist. Now, many believe that the Dome of the Rock or the Mosque of Omar on the Temple Mount has to be destroyed for the temple to be rebuilt. And that's what the big havoc is over there. But it is now believed that Solomon's temple laid north of the Dome of the Rock, what is known as the Dome of the Spirits or the Dome of the Tablets, and there's an area there about 10 acres that is sufficient. It's believed that the Temple of Solomon was there, not where the Dome of the Rock is. That would put the Dome of the Rock in the court of the Gentiles, as verse 2 says. How interesting. Now, notice they will be empowered by God, verse 3 says. They will be enabled by Jesus. He says, I will give power to my two witnesses, his witnesses. They're God's chosen individuals. The law required two witnesses to establish any legal matter, Deuteronomy 19.15. The people would have no excuse for the rejection, for the persecution of these two. They would be liable to God. They will be allotted a specific time, notice, by Jesus. They will prophesy 1,260 days. That is three and a half years. Now, notice they will be dressed in specific attire. According to Jesus, clothed in sackcloth. This type of clothing describes the nature of their mission and preaching. They will represent affliction, grief, due to the spiritual condition of the world. Dark. Dark. Just think about it. All Christian influence removed. Now, these two witnesses, notice, would be filled, driven, and empowered by the Holy Spirit for their ministry. They stand before God. Notice. They are sent, sustained, and set apart for this time and mission. Notice in verse 5 and 6 that these two witnesses will be endowed with incredible divine power and authority. In verse 5, their incredible power is given to us. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. That'd be kind of a nifty instrument they have when people try to carjack you. They will be indestructible. They're God's instruments. Look at verse 6. Not only their incredible power, but here's their incredible authority. These have power to shut down heaven so that no rain falls in their day of the prophecies. In other words, drought. Who are these guys? Well, for sure, one of them is Elijah. Malachi 4, 5 says that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Elijah will come. That's why the Jews, when they celebrate Passover, they always leave an empty chair and an empty setting on the table for Elijah. Some think that the second could be Moses because of the miracles of turning blood, sort of like uh, in Egypt and stuff like that. But I think that the most favorable candidate, the second guy, is Enoch. In Genesis 5, 4, Jude 14, and Hebrews 9, 27 speaks about having to die once. Enoch was translated, he walked with God, he pleased God, he walked with God, was not for God took him. These are the only two that have not died. I believe Enoch is the second one. I think he's the best candidate. If there's somebody else, fine, but I go to those two because they have not died. For sure, Elijah, I think Enoch is the second one. Notice, secondly, we have the martyrdom of the two witnesses. 7 through 10. In verse 7, you have the perfect timing. The time is when they finish their testimony, not before. They are killed, listen, right on time. They have a set time to be used. They have a set purpose for their ministry. Learn that for your life. You have only a certain amount of days and years. There's something God has called you to do. Do you know that? Are you making full use of your day, weeks, Months, 
years. The word testimony, marturia, is the same as, as witness. They are God's witnesses for these three and a half years. Notice the person who takes their life is the beast. He is identified as the beast who was sent from the bottomless pit, the abuso. He is the Antichrist. He's identified many times, specifically in Revelation 17, verse 1 and 2, and on down and throughout these chapters, chapter 13 also. He will make war against them, overcome them. This word overcome is the same one, nekoa, as those who are overcomers in the seven churches. He will kill them, but not before their time. The prophetic location cannot be missed. Look at verse 8. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city. The city is described by her character, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Don't miss it. Sodom represents that which is abominable. Egypt represents the enemy of God. The unmistakable identity of the city is removed by the fact that it is said to be where the Lord was crucified. You can't miss it. It's Jerusalem. These two witnesses stand in opposition to the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now notice the personal celebration. You say celebration? Oh, yes. Mark it well. Verse 9 and 10. The people, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days. As an example, without doubt, to those who would oppose the Antichrist in this kingdom, just like Rome intimidated anybody who lifted their hand to him by lining her streets with crucified men. This again is the time of Rome, the old revived Roman Empire, to gawk and to ridicule them. These guys have been a pain for three and a half years. They've tormented the kingdom of the Antichrist. The technology of satellite is a reality now. Every eye will see them. No problem. Notice the people will not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. They refuse to bury them in order to show their disrespect. It is a form of desecration to them. The Jew feels desecrated if he's not put in the tomb. It's an insult. Notice verse 10. The people who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets again tormented those who dwell on the earth. They send gifts to each other like in the day of the Feast of Purim with Esther 9.22 when Haman was overcome in his plot. They're in the positive, here in the negative. The phrase who dwell on the earth is repeated often in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3.10, I will keep you from the hour that will come upon all those on the earth, earth dwellers. You and I are heavenly citizens. 610, 813, 13.8, 13.14, 17.8. Those who are serving the Antichrist, those who are left behind in the rapture, those who go into the seven-year tribulation. The servants of God, if they are walking with God and abiding in Christ, will die right on time, the perfect timing. Listen to the scriptures. Sometimes people freak out about Oh, I'm a, when am I going to die? You know, I'm afraid. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be afraid of dying. Now, none of us have died, so we don't know what it's going to be like. But we know that Jesus has died and has come back from the dead, and we have his assurance. So we need to study the word of God so we have his mind and we understand what he says about life and death. But listen to the scriptures, okay, if you're worried about dying. 
Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto every man to die once, then the judgment. So, first of all, the very basic understanding about death. Listen, no one gets out of here alive. We're all going to die. Unless we're the generation of the rapture. Okay? So all of us are going to die. Secondly, Matthew 10.29, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father's will? Do you realize that Christians don't die by accident? Though Christians may die in an accident, Christians don't die by accident. Jesus said, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows, Luke 12, 7. Isn't that comforting to know that you're in the hands of God? I am thoroughly convinced of this, having almost died twice in my life. In 1969, I was hit head on when I was riding my chopper. I was 19 years old. I was a non-believer. In 201, February 2nd, I got hit head on again on my Harley. C2 fracture, nine out of 10 people die on the spot. The other one dies in transport or in the emergency. God wasn't through with me. Now, I'm not saying you can close your eyes and walk across the freeway. We're not to tempt the Lord. I'm not saying that you can live stupid, okay, or foolishly. I'm saying if you're walking with God, you're being used of God, you're abiding in Christ, he's in control. That's why I go only to the places I believe God has me to go. I don't worry about going to South America to wherever I go, Russia, Cuba, if, God, if I believe God's with me. If he's not, I don't go. If there's any doubt, I say, you know what, I don't think I'm going. I'm responsible to hear the voice of God. So you will not die by accident. Though you may die in an accident, you'll die right on time. You will not be late to your own funeral. <laughs> Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. Psalm 116, 15 says. This is the martyrdom of the two witnesses. They died right on time. Notice thirdly, verse 11 through 14, we have the miraculous raising and rapture of the two witnesses. Verse 11, the short-lived celebration is given to us. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. This is going to freak them out. This, they prophesied for three and a half years, and now they have laid in the street for three and a half days. What a parallel. Now, before the rise of all the world, as they see them on video and technology of today, the breath of life from God enters them, even as in the beginning God breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life. He's the giver of life. He's the taker of life. And great fear fell on those who saw them, it says. Fear of their actions towards these two prophets. They could not overcome them for 42 months. They were a constant reminder of the evil that's in the world. They don't like that. Listen, next Friday night, I want you to walk into a bar about 12 midnight and say, shame on you guys. Don't you know alcohol is bad for you? You'll end up in the emergency ward. <laughs> next Friday night, go into one of these gentlemen's clubs or into one of these weird places of pornography and say, Shame on you guys. How dare you live that way? They'll kill you. 
Darkness hates light. It hates light. They have been laying dead for three and a half days. Their bodies have already be, began to decompose. They probably wear masks to go mock them and kick them and spit on them. Because that's what you do in the Middle East. One of the worst things you can do is somebody spit on them. It's a mark of Judas disrespect. They're looking at them. And their colors returning to them. They began to move. One of them rolls over. Gets to his knees. They both stand to their feet. Wow. Fear grips them. Fear of their opposition of God. They have heard the preaching of these two prophets about the soon return of Christ and the setting up of his kingdom. They've mocked it. Rejected it. They have mocked the message of repentance. They have not entered the kingdom themselves and they've hindered others from entering also. They will have to give an account for all of their lives, their choices, their decisions, their words, their deeds, their thoughts, their motives. That's a frightful thought. And as this is going on, we get the unforgettable sight in verse 12. They heard a loud voice from heaven come up here. They had spoken in God's authority, in obedience. Now they respond in obedience to the same authority. <laughs> He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. The two prophets ascended to heaven. They did so in a cloud. Notice that. Their enemies saw them. Much like Jesus ascended in the Mount of Olives in the cloud before his disciples in Acts 1, 9 through 11. And the divine disapproval and judgment is very evident in verse 13 and 14. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell, Jerusalem. The rest were afraid and gave glory to God, to the God of heaven. Maybe they repented. It seems to be like, thank God. Some, not all. Up to this point, we've seen people not repent. They just, they didn't want to repent from their sources of fornications and their adulteries and all this stuff. Their witchcrafts. Here it appears that some do turn. And we know there will be many to be saved during the Great Tribulation as 144,000 Jews minister the gospel, as these two witnesses are there. And then at the end, you have the everlasting gospel preached by the angel. Notice this is the second woe that is passed, the sixth trumpet. The third woe is coming, the seventh trumpet. Things get worse, more intense. But this marks the middle when the Antichrist goes into the temple to declare himself God, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he sets up an image, as chapter 13 tells us, and gives the power to speak through the false prophet. Do you remember Belshazzar in Daniel 5 as he was celebrating his drunken feast to his gods with the vessels of God that his great-grandfather had taken from the temple in uh, 597 when he sacked the city? And as he was there celebrating and drunk, he saw a finger writing on the wall, meany, meany, tekel you farson. You have been weighed and you have been found wanting. You're dead. And that night, he was struck dead as Medo-Persia took his kingdom. His knees smote one against another and he sobered up real, real fast. People have big mouths down here on earth. Everybody will be silent before God in heaven. How short-lived has been the celebration of the world 
in particular the Arab world and radical Muslims as God has regathered and revived the nation of Israel. God promised that he would bring them back in the last days from the law to the prophets as well as the New Testament. Too many to go over right now. God showed Ezekiel a valley of dry bones, you know, in Ezekiel 37. And he asked the prophet, can these live again? He says, Lord, you know. He says he looked and he saw the breath of God enter these bones, sinew, flesh, and they stood on their feet. And he clearly identifies this is the nation of Israel. 1,870 days from the time that Titus came in in 70 AD, burnt the city, dismantled the temple, took all the treasures, the ark, the vessels of God, killed the Jews, enslaved them, and dispersed them throughout the world. Since that day, 70 AD, Israel had not a homeland. It was not a nation until May 14, 1948. 1,878 years. There is no nation, people, or race who has ever done this or existed without a homeland for more than three to four generations before being absorbed and totally disappear. Israel did it for 1,878 years. How? Here it is. Here's the answer. God. Israel didn't even believe it. <laughs> As you think of the atrocities and all the things that the Jews have gone through with Hitler, Mussolini, Spain, even the United States, as we rejected on boats. And they have not only survived, they have flourished. Here's the answer. God. God said he would. That's the only answer. The Christian is promised to be resurrected even as Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. As he revived the nation, he also speaks of the resurrection of the living and the dead, the good and the wicked. The body that's planted is not the one that's going to be raised. The body planted is a natural body. The body raised is a spiritual body. The body planted is corruptible. The body raised is incorruptible. The body planted is temporal. The body raised is eternal. And so we have this great hope, and Jesus is the example of that as he appeared to his disciples and said, a spirit has no body. Touch my hands. Touch my side, Philip. He ate with them. The church is about to experience an unforgettable rapture from the earth. It is called the blessed hope in Titus 2.13 of the appearing of our great God, Jesus Christ. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye. We shall be changed, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. We will be caught up haphazard to the clouds in the air and meet the Lord and our loved ones and be with Him forevermore, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. The minute our loved ones died, if they're Christians, they're before the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. The minute you die, you're instantly present before the Lord. If the Lord comes back right now, we would be harpazoed, snatched up violently, suddenly to the clouds, and we would meet all our loved ones who are in Christ in the cloud with the Lord, and then we would go to heaven with Him and be with Him forevermore. We are to comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. Hebrews 2.14 says, this is the miraculous raising and rapture of the two witnesses. Incredible passage. Meditate on the record of these two witnesses during the tribulation. 
It is marked by the ministry of these two witnesses, his anointed witnesses. Are you being God's witness in this world? Are you looking for Jesus Christ? Or will you be here for Antichrist? It's your choice. Yours and yours alone. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us of the blessings that accompany those who remain faithful. Now you can request a copy of today's challenging study called The Two Witnesses. As always, it's available for just $4 on CD. And this message will also contain what Pastor Xavier talked about the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is The Two Witnesses. Please address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And remember, it's important that you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. What's the coming kingdom going to be like? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 